a well-respected Swiss cardiologist brutally arrested in his practice the day before Easter Sunday 2020. And the reason? He told the truth. It is a story so extreme that one may believe it is just that, a story of fiction. But this was a reality for Dr. Thomas Binder. While finishing work at his office on Saturday, April 11, 2020, before a planned holiday vacation, Dr. Thomas Binder was aggressively confronted by a total of 60 armed police officers, including 20 officers with the anti-terrorism unit Argus. A few months earlier, in February 2020, Dr. Bender realized that just about everything he learned in medical school no longer applied to COVID-19. Because of the constant fear-mongering from the media, and unscientific restrictions imposed by the government, Dr. Bender felt it was his duty as a doctor to inform the public of the truth. I immediately saw, realized that this whole corona narrative is, uh, is utter unscientific nonsense. I felt it was my duty as a doctor to inform the, the populace about this uh, medical condition of, of, of the whole society in a way that also lay people can understand and once informed can decide how to proceed. Dr. Bender wrote blog posts to his website and posted to social media debunking unscientific claims like zero COVID, asymptomatic spread, the flawed PCR testing, lockdown policies, and more. And on Thursday, April 9th, 2020, Dr. Bender posted a blog that went viral. And this blog was read about 20,000 times in a, in a day. And then I thought, well, this information will spread exponentially and other fellow doctors will do the same. And in a week or so, this nonsense will have collapsed. Unfortunately, two and a half years later, and we all know that's not what happened. Instead, Dr. Bender's viral blog post caught the attention of two colleagues, who together then called the chief of state police on Dr. Binder, claiming that he was a danger to himself and the government. This is what led to his brutal arrest two days later on April 11, 2020. After examining Dr. Binder's blog posts, social media posts, and emails, police realized he was not a threat and an arrest warrant was not issued. There was no threat of anybody. and. I was also, I was not armed and I had no psychiatric history, of course. All these allegations of these uh, libeler were wrong. However, officers sent an emergency doctor to evaluate his mental health status. And Dr. Bender was diagnosed with corona insanity, which is not an actual diagnosis in the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual used by psychiatrists. They didn't know how to, how to uh, deal with me, so they, they pulled me into closed psychiatry. I was forced to take a neuroleptic, 
and whether I took it or not was weekly controlled by a blood check. So this, I mean, these are really Soviet-style, GDR-style uh, psychiatric methods. The question remains, is mental health being used to silence not only dissidents, but even doctors and scientists? And more broadly, what does this say about the weaponization of psychology? I'm independent journalist Taylor Hudak, and today we welcome a very special guest who since the start of the COVID-19 crisis in February 2020 spoke out against the restrictions and advocated for science and ethics to be brought back into the fields of medicine. Today we welcome cardiologist Dr. Thomas Binder. Dr. Binder is a medical doctor and studied medicine at the University of Zurich. He received his doctorate in immunology and virology and also specialized in internal medicine and cardiology. He has 34 years of experience. He is also experienced in diagnostics and therapy for respiratory infections in hospitals and in the ICU. And he has had his own private practice in Switzerland for 24 years. Dr. Binder is a board member of the Swiss Aletheia Humane Medicine and Science. He is also a member of Doctors for COVID Ethics and a member of the German Physicians and Scientists for Health, Freedom, and Democracy. Dr. Thomas Binder, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having invited me, Taylor. Absolutely. Now, you have an extraordinary story and experience to share with us related to your situation in Switzerland, speaking out against the COVID-19 restrictions and measures. So why don't you introduce yourself to everybody listening right now? Tell us a little bit about your medical and science background and also this experience and encounter you had. I studied medicine at the University of Zurich, uh, obtained a doctorate in immunology and virology because I wanted to find out whether I should uh, go into science, into research or into clinics. I decided to do the latter. So I specialized in internal medicine and cardiology and have 34 years of experience also in diagnosis and therapy of acute respiratory infections uh, in the hospitals, in intensive care units and for 10 years then in my medical practice for 24 years. Well, in February 2020, I was amazed what I had learned in medical school during my scientific training and in my practical medical life was suddenly turned upside down. I mean, anyone who even felt a sore throat no longer treated himself to visit the GP only if the symptoms got worse, but ran to the nearest hospital with the request to be tested immediately and with the fear of her perhaps having to die. Those who tested positive were told the course of the COVID-19 disease was, fate, was fated that no one could tell them that they must stay at home and that they should go to the hospital only if they felt miserable. I mean, I have never seen something like this happen during my whole life. And, well, I don't know why. <laughs> I immediately saw, realized that this whole corona narrative is, uh, is utter unscientific nonsense from 
A-like, no epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission to say like zero COVID is an intellectual absurdity. And so I felt it was my duty as a doctor to inform the, the populace about this uh, medical condition of, of, of the whole society in a way that also lay people can understand and once informed can decide how to proceed. So I did nothing else than what I did before 2010-20. I just did my duty as a doctor. So I uh, wrote emails, blogs. I sent emails to fellow doctors, to journalists I knew, politicians I knew. And the other amazing thing is that I never got any answer. I mean, I did not even get an answer like Thomas, you are crazy or something like this, just no answer. Yeah, so I could not reach journalists, so I uh, wrote more and more blogs. And on the thir- on Thursday before Easter 2020, I wrote a longer blog where once again, I explained the whole nonsense narrative uh, from the wrong indication to test over the wrong test, over there is highly likely no, epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission, that the CFR of 2% is nonsense because every pupil realizes that the the IFR is is important and this is likely 100 times or so lower because of the great many number of undetected cases. And this block was uh, read about 20,000 times in in a day. So I thought, oh, well, <laughs> I did not, re- I did not uh, understand why me, an ordinary doctor, should inform Switzerland or maybe the whole world, but well, I did it. And then I thought, well, this information will spread exponentially and other fellow doctors will do the same. And in a week or so, this nonsense will have collapsed. But well, it, it happened something else. At, at, at Easter, I wanted to go on holiday with my wife for a week. So at Easter Saturday, I did some final work in my practice. And in the evening uh, of uh, Easter Saturday, I was brutally arrested in my medical practice. Uh, in, this, uh, in this operation, about 60 policemen were involved and really the uh, hardcore anti-terrorist units with machine guns uh, and, and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, well then, uh, well, I must stress that it was not the government to, who came after me. Uh, well, acquaintance of mine wrote these emails, blogs, and in these he saw threats, threats mainly to the government, and he called another uh, good acquaintance of mine, uh, actually, the, the, the prime minister of the Canton Argau, the province or state where I live in Switzerland, and uh, at the phone they decided I must be insane. I am in a danger. This uh, person also said I was armed, and I had a, a history of psychiatric diseases. So then they called the, the chief of the, of the of the state police, and so this whole thing started. Well, after one hour about after the arrest, they realized, oh, there is no threat. They couldn't find any threat in my tweets, in Facebook posts, in blogs, emails or so. 
they did not even issue an arrest warrant, but then they sent a colleague to me, uh, an emergency doctor. And you must imagine already in April 2020, she wore a hardcore FFP2 mask and said, oh, put on the mask, put on the mask, the virus, the virus. I mean, and this colleague had to check my mental status. So you were essentially arrested and contacted by the police in a very brutal way, as you just explained. And this was because of your blog posts and your writing about your perspective on how COVID-19 was being handled? Yeah, because this acquaintance of mine, and then uh, in the phone call with the prime minister of, 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 of the state where I live, they decided that, that the, in, in these blogs, in, in, in what I wrote, were threats, immediate threats to politicians or so. so they, 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 they were afraid I would, I would attack and try to kill politicians or so. But if you, re- if you go through everything I read, I mean, I could not hurt a fly. I never threatened anybody in my whole life. The only thing, the only threat I was, I threatened their worldview. This, this is the problem. I mean, this, this shows nicely. I mean, my case shows nicely what's happening. Obviously, humanity is. Is, is, is caught in a context of delusion. And everybody, of course, says or thinks, believes, I am the realist, and the other side is caught in, in, a, in a sect or a cult. And in, I mean, in this situation, such a situation, we must always ask ourselves first, am I the realist? Or could it not be that I am the deluded? And this question can only be answered by looking to the reality as soberly as possible. And this is what I did. I just offered the populace, this is the reality, this is evidence-based science and medicine. So here you see who is, who is right and who is wrong. And then this colleague, uh, well, she decided, but the first question she asked, she asked me was, uh, what is the date? And I said, uh, April 11th, 2020. And then the third question was, what is the current year? Well, and then, I mean, this was not very intelligent, but you must understand this was a kind of silent protest. I answered 1984. <laughs> and, uh, well, I guess, I don't know whether she didn't understand it or and then it continued like this. And in the end, she wrote the diagnosis, Corona Insanity. So she invented a new diagnosis for me, Corona Insanity. Wait, so you were, insanity. wait a minute, you were diagnosed with Corona Insanity? Yeah, in her, in her, in, 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 the, in, in, in what she wrote, in the report she wrote, there is Corona insanity. And I mean, insanity alone is not enough for involuntary commitment. You may be an insane person, but, but still a kind person. I mean, the, the only reason for involuntary commitment is if you are afraid to others or to yourselves. And so she decided that well, I am self-endangering, but well, a few days before, I in, in Twitter and Facebook, I posted something like this. Uh, I'm 58 years old, sporty, on no medication, and would never, ever commit uh, suicide in my life. So I, I, I felt, of course, before I went public, that there is some danger, and um, this I just wrote in the case that yeah, maybe I, I was found suicided or something like this. I mean, this can happen. So you were really worried about your safety when speaking out? Yes, well, a little bit. I mean, 
yeah, you, you know what, what happened to some whistleblowers before. I mean, well, it, it was just a kind of insurance to, that, that, that they wanted to, to uh, leave that in, just in case that, that this statement was there. I, I was not really afraid, but uh, yeah, as an insurance. Uh, because I always felt that I'm on the right side. I, I, everything, everything I told from from the very beginning, from February 2020 to nowadays, was 100% evidence-based, and they could never ever uh, show me uh, an important error I made. Since COVID-19 was being discussed in the media early on, you realized that something was just not quite right. Yes, I, I realized it immediately in February 2020. I was sure, but of course. As a doctor, I could not be 99% sure when I went public. I had to be 200% sure because if I was I, I was wrong and the tsunami had arrived, I would have been destroyed as a doctor. So I had to be 200% sure. And in this time, a very important person for me. Meanwhile, a, a good friend of mine is uh, Professor Sucharit Bhakti, the German, micro, uh, German professor emeritus in microbiology. I found his uh, YouTube videos and I immediately realized, uh, well, he, he thinks the same, he says the same. And I mean, you can look him into his eyes and you realize immediately this is a, this is a deeply honest, intelligent, person and uh, he, he gave me the assurance that I'm 200% sure so then I went public. Another important person was uh, Wolfgang Wodark and, and some others and all said the same but these were the first I went out and in Switzerland I was the first doctor who went public. I mean at that time for example in, in the UK or USA I didn't hear any voice it was mainly in the German speaking it started a little bit earlier disinformation by some doctors in the, in the German-speaking countries. I think this was quite interesting. Therefore, I also tweeted in uh, mainly in English, and I, I realized that this is highly appreciated in the, around the world, and especially also in the US and the UK. And then I was I was put into closed psychiatry, into a padded cell for 36 hours, and only after these 36 hours, there was the first interrogation. They told me why I'm here. And uh, for the first time I saw my lawyer. So the police arrested you and then you were placed into a psychiatric unit in a padded cell. Yes, they could not arrest me because I did, I did some, nothing wrong. They realized this after one hour, there was no threat of anybody. And I was also, I was not armed and I had no psychiatric history, of course. All these allegations of these uh, libeler were wrong. And uh, so they couldn't arrest me. So obviously they tried something else and they, 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 they didn't know how to, how to uh, deal with me. So they, they pulled me into closed psychiatry. Yeah, it's an amazing experience. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then after, of course, I... Uh, I opposed this, and then the, 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 the court decided, okay, I, I, they must release me. But then a psychiatrist gave me the diagnosis mania. 
and uh, well, maybe I was a little bit hyperactive as, a, as an enlightener, as an informed, but of course, as I said, I, I realized where well, this information has to spread and I was somewhat maybe active, some, maybe somewhat hyperactive. I, I, I wrote some posts maybe until one o'clock in, in, the, in the morning, but I, I, of course I didn't have mania, but then they, they gave me the, the uh, opportunity to decide Either you stay here in the, in the psychiatric hospital for six weeks to have treated this mania, or you can leave and go home and continue to work, but you must take a medication. And they, I was forced to take a neuroleptic, and whether I took it or not was weekly controlled by a blood check. So this, I mean, these are really Soviet-style, GDR-style uh, psychiatric methods. This is outrageous. So this is Switzerland. For everybody listening right now, I want you to all know that this is happening in Switzerland. And you were forced to take a psychiatric medication because you spoke out against COVID-19 restrictions and measures. Am I right? Yes. But of course, these, as I, as I said, the corona insane other sides decided I must be corona insane. So uh, from their point of view, this was of course uh, correct. But from my point of view, this was completely wrong. Yeah, this is this was Switzerland or in April 2020. What was the media coverage of this? I assume that there was some media coverage or what was the public sentiment in your area in Switzerland about what had happened to you? The mainstream media Still nowadays, I'm the, the terrorist uh, that was uh, that had to be arrested and put into psychiatry. Of course, this narrative was never corrected in the mainstream media. Of course, but of, but of course, in the new media there was coverage. I mean, I when they arrested me, I realized that they want to arrest me because uh, when I when I worked on Saturday Saturday evening in, in my practice. Uh, I wanted to make a coffee and there I saw through the entrance door that is uh, made of glass. So I saw the policemen, 10 on, on the stairs that go up and 10 on the stairs that go down with the machine guns like this. And then I could go back to my computer and post uh, an emergency statement. So in, in the sense of help, the, the police is, is, is coming after me. I will be arrested, and, and this was this was shared in Twitter and Facebook thousands of times. So this uh, this created some public reaction, and of course in the uh, in the new media as well. And uh, well, of course, I mean, I lost I lost some elderly patients, but not many, maybe a dozen or so, who cannot uh, imagine that the that the Swiss public broadcaster. Uh, lies to them while I'm telling the truth, huh? but most most of my patients uh, knew me very well. They realized even if, even if they did not understand anything about the COVID, they realized well this was really too much. I mean, uh, <laughs> and they they of course they they supported me, and and now of course it, it's it's the other way around. I mean we are flooded. Uh, by patients who, of course, have completely lost the trust in, in the existing healthcare system. So, uh, from from this aspect, I didn't suffer. I mean, uh, in, in, the, in the practice, I never had uh, any problem. 
I mean, I just did my duty as a doctor as I did before. I did nothing special. What I still cannot understand is why not all my colleagues did the same. I mean, even if a doctor does not have any idea about epidemiology, virology, PCR tests, and so on and so forth. What every doctor should have realized immediately was the wrong indication to test, namely not only the sick, hospitalized patients, where we have to know the germ, that we can treat him or her appropriately with a specific antiviral drug, but also less sick patients and even asymptomatic, formerly called healthy people. I mean, this is utterly insane. Uh, every doctor should have realized this. And even lay people can realize this. I mean, how? what, what did we do when, when we had the flu or the cold before 2020? Well, usually this is a self-limiting disease, so we treat it ourselves. And only if it got worse after some days, we went to our GP and then maybe he diagnosed secondary complicating bacterial pneumonia that could still be treated ambulatory by antibiotics. And it lasted not, not seven days, but 14 to 21 days, but then it was over. And only the most severe life-threatening cases were sent by the GP into the hospital. And only then we tested because for all before this, it is, it is not important to, to know whether we, we, we were infected by influenza A, B, Corona, B19, SARS-CoV-2, or whatever. I mean, already this, every doctor should have realized. Are you surprised that more of your colleagues haven't taken a strong stand to say, this is not how we typically practice medicine? Yes, of course, at the beginning, I was totally surprised. I could not understand it at all. But all, always when I wanted to contact them, there was no answer. So obviously because they had no answer, then I was surprised. I mean, meanwhile, after more than two years, I'm no longer surprised because the, the doctors who participate in this crime and, and even even recommend or even, even, even inject these uh, poisons themselves, how could they come out of this? I mean, already as a self-protection, they may not realize that they did something wrong, that they might have hurt patients or might have even killed patients. This is a complicated psychological problem. So I think they, 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 they do not find a way out. The, the, the lie is too big to fail. And this can only be overcome by the populace that, that stands up against this narrative. And we'll get to the solutions a little bit later on here. But one thing that you do explain really well, Dr. Bender, is the illusion of a pandemic. Sort of this fact that we have been living under this idea that we are in the midst of a pandemic when that's really not at all the case. So can you point to what led to this illusion? Yes. The populace was never said that uh, in 2009, uh, during the swine flu scandemic, the WHO relaxed the criteria to declare a pandemic by taking out the dangerousness of the, core, of the germ. So since 2009, they can declare any uh, seasonal wave of flu or, or cold that goes around the globe um, uh, as a pandemic. And uh, 
So they misused this, this uh, definition in 2009 when they declared the pandemic of the swine flu virus, influenza H1N1, that was less dangerous than the seasonal flu. And they did it the same now with the SARS-CoV-2 that is also less dangerous than seasonal influenza if we really count the death, the, the deceased uh, from, uh, according to usual medical practice. Uh, so what the people, the people when they when they hear pandemic, pandemic, they are reminded of, of the Black Death or something like this. And of course they are panicked and totally frightened. So they, they were lied to there. And, and of course the same, they, they were lied about the dangers of this virus. Uh, it was said to be much 10 times or so more dangerous than the seasonal flu. But this, of course, was wrong. Uh, John, John Ioannidis, already in uh, spring 2020, counted the IFR on 0.23%. Uh, influenza is about 0.1%. And if we, if we count only the people who died from COVID and not... Uh, these these uh, these fraudulent uh, that that everybody who dies within 28 days after positive RT-PCR test from whatever cause is counted as a corona death. It is uh, highly likely 10 times lower, so uh, also below influenza. Another important myth, of course, as I said, there is the wrong indication to test, and then there is the wrong test. Test. I mean, the best. RT-PCR test is neither diagnostic for an infection nor death uh, from COVID-19. It is just a part of, of the diagnostic puzzle and must always be seen in conjunction with the, with the patient's history and uh, other clinical findings. Uh, so the PCR test is, is not the gold standard for diagnosing SARS-CoV-2. And, and for epidemiological reasons, it is purposes, it is completely wrong. There you must uh, uh, do antibody tests because only the presence of IgM, IgG, IgA antibodies proves that, that there was an infection, that the body struggled against the germ. So they cho chose the wrong, the wrong test method. And of all, all PCR tests, RT-PCR tests on SARS-CoV-2, they the WHO declared the worst possible uh, on SARS-CoV for SARS-CoV-2 we could imagine, namely this uh, RT-PCR test according to the Carmen Drosten protocol. Uh, I was in, in, uh, in, the, in the group of the two, 22 bioscientists who in November 2020 wrote the external peer review of the Carmen Drosten test. This was, this was uh, the recipe for the laboratories and the manufacturers to create an RT-PCR test. This, this test was never validated. It was never standardized. It, was, it is hypersensitive and has too low a specificity. So also the test is wrong. And then an important myth, of course, was the, the myth of uh, alleged epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission. And it was the same Professor uh, Christian Drosten, who published the Corman Drosten test protocol, who published uh, one week later at January 1st, I guess, in a letter to the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, he created this myth of 
epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission. Uh, allegedly by uh, that, uh, a Chinese uh, woman in Germany that had no symptoms, was a super spreader. But when we interviewed her later, it was obvious that, of course, she was symptomatic, but she had suppressed her symptoms with uh, many uh, drugs. So this uh, Professor Christian Drosten is really at the center of this whole thing. He was already in the center in 2009 during the uh, swine flu scandemic. And of course, with this myth, with this myth you, the people got frightened. I mean, if, you, if we now meet in the street and we are perfectly heart and hearty and healthy, uh, you, you could be my angel of death. I mean, every, each and every uh, allegedly um, uh, sane people could, could bring me death. So they made the, the people uh, afraid of, of each other. And this, this, these are the central myths of this nonsense narrative. And of course, meanwhile, it is proven also for SARS-CoV-2, like for all other respiratory viruses, that there is no epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission. And with this alone, with this alone, it is clear that all these non-pharmaceutical interventions, antisocial distancing, masks in the public, contact tracing, isolation, quarantine, school closures, lockdowns, do not work for asymptomatic, formerly called healthy people. They, do, they, they are useless and do only harm. The only two measures that may contain a respiratory virus, a little bit at least, we know for centuries, these are hygiene and self-isolation of sick people. And despite the evidence that none of these measures work, are you concerned that we have set a precedent here where perhaps these restrictions can be used in the next so-called pandemic? Yes, of course. I mean, this this shall be used as the standard now. We know that the, the, the WHO is, is keen on putting uh, itself on, on top of the, of, the, of the constitution of each and every country. And um, I mean, who, I always say who controls the who controls the world. It is that simple. Uh, it is, all this uh, should be established as the gold standard how to, how to uh, handle uh, pandemics in the future. And therefore, it is really important that we inform the public now before the advent of the next pandemic that uh, well might be monkeypox. That uh, uh, coinc there are coinc nice coincidences where also like like uh, event two one two one uh, was a simulation of the corona corona pandemic, uh, where the same doctor George Gao, director of the CDC, were present. Although it was the breakout of this. Uh, simulated pandemic was in South America, not in China. The same Dr. George Gao, who was present there, uh, reported the first 27 or so cases of a new pneumonia to the W in China, to the WHO in, on uh, December 31st, 2019. I mean, this, is, this alone should be enough to arrest this person. And at, at the event 201, an important person, participant was also Avril Haynes. Avril Haynes is the chief of uh, all US secret services, close advisor to President Biden. She was there as well. And she's also in the board of the uh, Nuclear Threat Initiative, I guess is the name, that 
interestingly, uh, had a monkeypox virus uh, simulation in, I guess, March 2021. And they predicted that this would break out in the imaginary country Brinia on May 15, 2022. But they were completely wrong because I guess the first case, monkeypox case, was uh, reported from the UK. In, in Latin, this is Britannia, uh, Britannia, Britannia, and uh, not on the, on, on the May 15th, but on May 13th. So they were two days wrong. So certainly they could not have been any pre-knowledge. So one thing I find interesting that I do want to shift our focus to is how there has been quite a bit of reporting in older media outlets or mainstream media outlets about younger, seemingly healthy people, adults, suddenly dying. What do you make of this? And could this have any relation to perhaps the experimental injections that have been pushed onto the public for the past year and a half? The problem is that most doctors have no idea about the incredible side effects of these injections. Uh, if you read the, the literature, there, there is a, a severe uh, adverse events. There, there are listed myocarditis and pericarditis, but nothing else. And they always say, oh, these are, these are a few, few cases. That's not really a problem. But still be, be aware of this. The problem of these useless, even negatively effective, as we know by now, injections, these are really uh, toxins. I mean, it is it is a poison. And it never in my medical life I had met such a poison before because there are many toxic ingredients, some we might not even know, and they have different different toxicity, different mechanisms of, of toxicity that maybe even interact. There is the toxicity of the spike protein that is thrombogenic that may cause myocardial infarction, stroke, pulmonary embolism, deep vein thrombosis, but also diffuse thrombosis in the microvasculature, microvasculature that can only be diagnosed by elevated D-dimer. The spike protein can induce inflammation, production of autoantibodies, maybe even formation of amyloidosis and prion-like things. It may it might interact in gene regulation. Then there is the, on top of that, there is a the toxicity, toxicity toxicity of the lipid nanoparticles that may induce inflammation, may also be genotoxic, we do not exactly know. And then there is the toxicity of the modified RNA. I, I do not call it messenger RNA because the only thing this has in common with uh, mRNA is that it is translated into proteins at ribosomes. These are totally different. We know that these these remain uh, intact in, in the body for 60 days, maybe even longer. This has nothing to do with mRNA. And they might also be genotoxic in the way that after reverse transcription, they might be uh, inserted into our genome, into our DNA. And then on top of that, there is the autoimmune-like reaction against the spike-producing cells. I mean, also this we can explain that every lay person can understand. Imagine already the idea to inject the construction plan for a, for a protein foreign to the body, into the body without having any control about where it is produced and in what amount was totally insane. Uh, 
this both might should differ considerably between individuals. So for example, if you take one or 100 sleeping pills at the same time, there is a huge difference. And then on top of that, choose the toxic spike protein in packaging it in toxic lipid nanoparticles and choose a, choose a modified RNA that is also toxic itself is, is the apex of insanity. This every layperson can imagine and even understand, but uh, most doctors do not want it. And of course, these uh, sudden deaths we see, they may be either caused by a myocardial infarction after vaccination by this thrombogenicity of the spike protein or by uh, myocarditis inflammation of the heart muscle. Uh, this is this is of course well known and, and, and as you as you say all, all alone this this creates many number of, of athletes of other people uh, journalists even in, in studios that that collapse and 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 die if, if if they are not if there is no defibrillator close to them I mean, this alone should should uh, make raise some eyebrows. Can you explain the mechanism of how the COVID nineteen gene based vaccines work once injected into the body, and how that is causing perhaps myocarditis, strokes, and blood clotting? The, the pharmaceutical industry, of course, finds it is a great idea. They they. Uh, transfer the production of the vaccine into our body. They just inject us the construction plan, which is the mRNA. Then the mRNA is uh, is, is impacted into these lipid nanoparticles, as uh, so that they are stable and reach the cells. They then they are inserted into the cells, and there they go to the ribosomes. These are the protein factories of the cells, and the ribosomes translate this code into proteins and this protein the protein that is encoded for is the spike protein so these these spikes and we already knew from from the most serious covid cases after one or two months that the most serious cases have even another problem than the pulmonary problem which is uh, thrombogenicity blood clots almost everywhere and we we found out after months that the most toxic part of COVID-19 is the spike protein that is thrombogenic. And uh, I mean, to, as I said, to choose this toxic spike protein as, as, as this foreign protein, as, as this vaccine uh, was insane. And then, of course, the, the, the cells that uh, produce this spike protein presented at the cell surface, the immune system is policing around, white blood cells are policing around. They realize, oh, there is a foreign protein on the cell. Oh, this must be a foreign cell. And then they attack this cell as foreign. And of course, if this is a heart cell, this will produce inflammation of the heart. If this is a liver cell of the liver and so on and so forth. The problem is that many experts, for example, the chairman of the Swiss Vaccine Commission that uh, makes these uh, gives these advices for vaccination. He still says, well, after injection, uh, this stays in the deltoid muscle. And of course, if this was true, and then the, these skeletal muscle cells would produce the spike protein, and these would be destroyed, they could regenerate. This would not be a, a huge problem. 
But of course, once you have realized that this is distributed in the whole body and any body cell can produce it and will then be destroyed by the immune system, you understand these incredible side effects it, it can have in the body. And I mean, maybe even if they, if they didn't realize this, this in the beginning, also that, 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 that these injections are not forbidden already is, is unbelievable. Is it possible that doctors or others in the public health industry could innocently not realize this or not realize how dangerous these vaccines are? Is that possible? I'm afraid it is, yes. Of course, we, 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 we think once we have realized that, that this, all this prevailing corona narrative is utter nonsense, we think, well, they must be evil. What's wrong with all these people? But I guess most of also of, of my fellow doctors are totally brainwashed as, 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 as the whole society once was at least. I mean, as a doctor, you, you work a lot and you trust in, in the authorities, you trust in the drug regulator. For example, in Switzerland, we have our own drug reg regulator for drugs and vaccines. It is called Swiss Medic. We do not even uh, trust in the European medical agency, that is the regulator in the EU or, or, or uh, to the American regulator that is the FDA, we have our own Swiss high quality regulator. So of course, the doctors trust in them. And then there is this uh, vaccine recommendation commission. And if they say, yeah, we have to vaccine this, we have to, we have to inject even children and even unborn children, obviously they believe them. Although, I mean, uh, as soon as they, at least as soon as they wanted to inject even children and even unborn children with such a totally new drug that is not a vaccine at all, uh, if, under this emergency use authorization, at least at that moment, all alarm bells should ring. But yeah, well, then, then there comes, of course, the psychological problem you already mentioned. They, they may not realize this. Uh, because, because of to, to self-protect. Are you concerned that mRNA technology could be used for other vaccines or other health intervention? Yes, we already know that, that of course, as I said, for the manufacturer, of course, this is cheap and they can pr be produced rapidly, much, much more rapidly than uh, classical vaccines. So there is obviously they obviously want to replace all common vaccines by RNA-based injections. Uh, this is interesting from their point of view. And they go even further. Now that, that one RNA injection is approved, they say, oh, well, every other RNA injection is the same, the same lipid nanoparticles. So they, we do not even need a further regulatory studies. We can just approve all these. And this, of course, is totally wrong because even if they choose not a toxic foreign protein, for example, an antigen on the surface of influenza against influenza, the toxicity of the lipid nanoparticles of the modified RNA, and of course, this autoimmune reaction against the spike protein expressing cells will be the same in each and every RNA injection. So we must not only stop these COVID vaccines, we must stop all RNA injections 
until until we, we we really know much more for 10 years or so maybe then we can debate again when, when, when we have more information and something like so this is important that 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 we must stop all rna injections yeah i agree with you this is a very important point because this is beyond just covid 19 gene-based vaccines this is going to extend to other vaccines and other medical treatments perhaps so it's something that we should all be very concerned about and wary of. Another interesting point that we could perhaps contemplate or discuss here is the fact that there was some reports coming out that people who were just recently vaccinated were testing positive for antibodies against HIV. Why is that happening? And should people be concerned about this? Well, we realized quite early that this uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus did not was not created by nature. This was created by men. This is clear by by analyzing the genome. And quite early, there were reports that in this genome there are sequences of HIV, and these sequences then are translated into parts of the spike protein, where where some, some parts of the spike protein resemble parts of the HIV surface, and then of course this can this can induce the production of antibodies against against these HIV similar parts of the spike protein and and so and then there will be antibodies dependent on the on the HIV test you apply you might find antibodies against HIV in post injected patients but it's important to realize these do not suffer from HIV it's just a test that uh, that that is positive because of this mechanism so if you test positive after having been vaccinated this is important to do more tests and to really rule out hiv or just this um, this this uh, explanation do you worry that this could create the illusion of an hiv pandemic yes well this this of course this might be one way one try to to cover it up uh, another might be the monkeypox uh, a monkeypox pandemic. Uh, there are people that, that have shingles after these injections. Maybe they want to sell them then as, as monkeypox. Well, many things are possible. And of course, it is, it is important that we stay alert, that we understand all this, and that when they come up with another thing now, after the swine flu scandemic, the, the COVID scandemic, if they come up with another scandemic, uh, I mean, really all alarm bells might re- must ring and we must really look into, into what they are trying to serve, what insanity they are trying to surface us again. Exactly. And, you know, I think continuing to do these interviews with medical professionals such as yourself talking about What has happened over the past two years and in particular the restrictions i think it's important to continue to highlight this because these restrictions can very well come back at any time there is some rumors that they could return in the fall and mask wearing of course is something that we are still seeing being enforced in some circumstances whether that be air travel or in doctor's offices But let's talk about masks and the effectiveness. I think we know and we have established that they are ineffective to prevent the spread of COVID-19. But another point is that they are quite dangerous. And there is a recent study that was published in February of 2022 
and it's called the Fogan Effect, a mechanism by which face masks contribute to the COVID-19 case fatality rate. What is your assessment on mask wearing and the ability to cause harm? Yes, as as uh, as you mentioned, uh, they they are not helpful for asymptomatic, formerly called healthy people. If if I am sick and I'm coughing in your face, then of course the face masks might protect you from uh, contagion. But uh, for asymptomatic people, they do not work. One one thing I mentioned quite at the, at the start was that the masks could also cause harm because they could contain bacteria, fungi that could uh, produce bacterial fungal pneumonia. Uh, there was actually Professor Fawcett himself, who I guess in about 2007 or nine, I'm not sure, uh, it could examine uh, remnants of, of victims uh, of, of the Spanish flu. And they could show that most of them did not die from influenza, but from secondary bacterial infection. And I mean, if you look at these old pictures, these the people with the masks, the face masks, the people wore then at that time were even uglier than, than these uh, uh, self-fabricated uh, face masks nowadays. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really possible that that this could also have produced many, many fatalities. And then, of course, there are other possibilities of harm. There is a, a recent study by the German colleague Wallach et al. It was actually published in the Journal of American Association, JAMA, about a year ago. And then it was retracted for no good reason. They had to retract it. And now it is, was republished in Science Direct. Yes, in this study, I have it in front of me right now. I'll just read it for everybody. It is called Carbon Dioxide Rises Beyond Acceptable Safety Levels in Children Under Nose and Mouth Covering, so when wearing a mask. It goes on to read results of an experimental measurement study in healthy children. So can you explain a little bit about this study and the significance here? Yeah, they just measured uh, the amount of CO, the CO2 concentration under the masks in children. And this is also valuable for adults, adults, but this is more valuable for children because they have more dead space ventilation, we call it. So they are especially prone that the CO2 concentration under the masks in their airways is elevated and they measured up to 12 or 13,000 ppm CO2. The normal room air has about 400 ppm CO2. And please consider that, for example, in Germany, the upper tolerated limit at the workplace of CO2 is 2,000 ppm. So <clears throat> these, the children who were coerced to, to wear these masks for, for hours, they, they, they had CO2 concentrations about six times upper the normally tolerated working place concentration. So this alone is, a, again, is, a, is another insanity. Of course, masks for healthy people, for healthy people, do not work. They do only harm. The other study I 
don't remember now, but there are there, there is one site, for example, uh, there are there are about 150 mask studies. I mean, there is a tremendous amount of of, of really peer-reviewed good studies who prove all this. And as once again, as I said, already with with the collapse of the narrative of epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission, all these non-pharmaceutical uh, interventions for healthy people are nonsense. And it, it, what is important now, we have to use the time frame until the next flu season to inform as many people as possible so that they don't no, not, not fall into this uh, narrative again in, in autumn. Great point that you make here. I also want to address a photo or a graph that you had sent me that you wanted to discuss. The title here is Near Real-Time Monitoring of Intensive Care Occupancy, and this was in Zurich. Can you explain to us this graph, what we are looking at here and the significance? The fundamental scam of this uh, corona scandemic is the misattribution of other diagnoses as COVID by this RT-PCR nonsense test. Actually, rolling a dice will be cheaper. And the best proof I, I always say a picture paints a thousand words. Is if we look at these uh, near real, these uh, uh, monitorings of intensive care occupancies, such graphs exist for every country, but I have never seen it uh, shown as clearly as in this Swiss graph that is done, as you said, by the ETH Zurich. This is an internationally famous Swiss university. The source is www.icumonitoring.ch. They stopped to, to do this about in April, so you will find the data until April. And there on the x-axis, you see the date. On the y-axis, you see the ICU bed occupancy. Then there is a black curve. These are the total. This is the total ICU bed occupancy. Then there is a green curve. These are the non-COVID patients. And there is a yellow curve. These are the COVID ICU patients. So look only at these th three curves for the moment. You, we see that always in the winter, the total ICU occupancy rises. There are these humps. These we saw always because in winter, then, of course, we have these uh, acute respiratory infections and the most severe cases always landed in the ICU where they had to be ventilated. So we must have this reserve of about 20% of ICU beds for, for, the, for the winter. And now look at the, at the, if you look, for example, at the yellow curve in summer 2021, in summer 2021, this was flat at about 1% of, of all tested patients were positive. And this is actually the false positivity rate about of the test. There was a German laboratory survey in summer 2020 that showed that the specificity of the test is 98.6%, so 1.4% false positives when no virus is around. So also in the summer, we always have about 1% false positive test, even if no coronavirus or almost no coronavirus is around. Coronavirus in I mean, northern latitudes are around from about November to April. And this problem with specificity, 
uh, I sometimes explain like this. Lay people and even experts sometimes allegedly do not understand that the meaning of this positivity rate is highly dependent on the prevalence of the virus. So how many viruses around? If there is no virus around at prevalence zero or close to zero, almost all tests, all positive tests are false positives. I, I can explain it like this. Imagine we do a pregnancy test in 1,000 males that has a specificity of 99%, so 1% false positives. Then 10 men will test positive, 1%. And as the prevalence of pregnancy in men is zero, all these 10 positive tests will be false positives. So if this, you can create the illusion that this virus is not only is not seasonal, but is around all year. And you can make the people believe that, that it is uh, worthwhile to, to, it is a good idea to wear face masks even in the summer at 35 degrees when no coronaviruses are around. But then let me, maybe we look that in October, 2020, there is a sharp rise of the yellow curve to go with the COVID patients. So suddenly in the ICUs, in the Swiss ICUs, COVID patients arrived. Now, what would you suggest? And then, of course, the, 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 the green curve. So these are myocardial infarctions, strokes, pulmonary embolism, the aortic dissections, and so on and so forth. These would continue like this. This would continue horizontally. They, they would not fall at the same time. So if you look at these uh, yellow and green curves, they are the exact, almost exact mirror image. If one curve goes up, the other curve immediately goes down. And well, then people sometimes say, oh, well, yeah, then when the COVID patients arrived, uh, we had to postpone operations because there, uh, there, there, that overloading of the ICU uh, was threatening. But then you look at the uh, gray dotted curve. This is the total ICU beds capacity. And you see that in April 20, it was augmented to 1,500 beds. And during the whole pandemic, there was a huge reserve. So there was never any reason to postpone an operation. By the way, you see at the same time, uh, in the same graph that during this alleged panic of the century, the ICU bed capacity was reduced in Switzerland from 1,500 to about 900. Uh, I mean, uh, during the alleged pandemic of the century. And this, is, this happened all over the world. And you see, when you look at the black curve and the gray dotted curve, there were always huge reserves in the Swiss ICUs. So, to explain this total synchronicity of the two curves, we can either believe that the supernatural entity, uh, most people would call it God, for each and every patient with COVID that arrives in the, who arrives in the ICU, postpones uh, an operation, a myocardial infarction, a stroke, pulmonary embolism, a uh, car crash of multiple automobiles with, with, with many injured, or the explanation is that at the very moment where the patient enters the hospital or the ICU, he is tested with this Corman-Drosten nonsense RT-PTS. RT as I said, uh, rolling a dice will be cheaper. And then if you are positive, you join the 
yellow curve, and if you're negative, you join the green curve. For example, if I enter the hospital with a myocardial infarction, I am in the green curve. One day later, the test result comes up to be positive. Then I'm just shifted in the, in the yellow curve. And you see that although these, these COVID patients arrived, the total number of ICU patients were only slightly elevated. They didn't go up in the same way. So this alone proves uh, that most, not all of course, most COVID patients in the ICU, ICUs were created out of the thin air by misattributing other diagnoses, for example, myocardial infarction with a positive test as COVID by this test. What, what this also explains, I mean, you see here that there was never, never an overloading of, of the Swiss ICUs. And this is true for the whole world. We have never seen this in any country. In, in Germany, for example, there are about three times more ICU beds per capita than in Switzerland. And for example, in Sweden, there are only about half as many ICU beds as in Switzerland. So although there are these huge differences between the countries, in no country there was real overloading of the ICUs. And this alone proves, this also proves that most COVID patients were invented out of the factory vacuum. I mean, if, 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 if the Swiss ICUs were at the limit, then in Germany they would have, they would have been half empty, while at the same time in Sweden, the, the patients would have uh, been in the, in the corridors. So this alone, look at this graph. If you have another explanation than this, please write me, call me. I explained this for almost two years and never ever there was any critique. Uh, yeah, so I guess it, it must be true. I mean, this is extraordinary. Thank you for sharing this with us and explaining this graph. It's so important to point this out because this narrative that the ICUs were being filled up with people who were COVID patients and that they were very ill with COVID drove further restrictions and lockdowns and mask mandates. So this is a really important point that you are bringing up here. So thank you for sharing that. And there was also another graph or a bit of data that you wanted to share with us today. And this is coming out of Israel. This is the European Mortality Monitoring. It says, aiming to detect and measure excess deaths related to seasonal influenza, pandemics, and other public health threats. Can you also walk us through this graph, what it means and the significance? As we know by now, we have been lied to in so many aspects. The only hard data, the best, the hardest data we have is all-cause mortality. And a good means to look at this is Euromomo, the European Mortality Monitoring, in which, interesting, also Israel participates. And uh, remember, Israel were the first ones who uh, really launched uh, these uh, campaigns, so they are ahead of most countries. And then I just looked at this graph. Uh, this, this, so you should be actually at zero, and then if it goes up, there is uh, excess mortality, and if it goes above the dotted red line, it, it is it, uh, something usually something wrong, something extraordinary is going on. I mean, according to the season, the flu season, etc., this line goes up and down, but usually it should not go up 
over this uh, red dotted red line. And then I was I looked uh, when did they start? When did they do what in, in this um, uh, vaccination campaign? We see the start of the pandemic. Not a lot happened there. We see the time when they started the first and second jab in Israel. Then we see a huge increase of excess mortality. The curve went down again. Then there was the first booster, immediately another huge increase. Curve went down again. And immediately after the second booster, again, we had an increase. Well, now this, of course, is correlation. And correlation per se does not prove causation. But correlation may be a hint for possible causation that should be examined further. And I mean, the, the, the rise of, of excess mortality, mortality of the first and second chap may be, well, this could be coincidence. The same rise after the first booster, uh, then it comes more and more difficult to explain this as coincidence. But then there is even a, a further rise after the second booster. And imagine, I mean, realize this happens at the time when allegedly most of the Israeli population is protected by this vaccine. And at the time when the virus that is around the Omicron variant is about 10 times less dangerous than the original Wuhan and Delta variant. So at the time where almost the whole population is totally protected by, by these injections and the most, uh, the, the less, uh, less the much less dangerous virus is, is around, the people die in an amount never seen during this whole pandemic. This alone, there is no proof yet for causation, but causation with this alone is 99 points, I don't know, per percent likely. So this alone in the normal scientific, ethical, just universities would be reason enough to stop these injections. And if this, if, if they come up with the second booster in autumn in the States also and in Europe, please look at this graph and think about, uh, think about whether it is a good idea to do this or not. This is also another extraordinary graph. Here we see right after people get the jab or the first and second booster, there is an increase in deaths is what we're seeing. Again, as you say, we can't automatically attribute that to the vaccines, but it is something that is worth being investigated, that's worth looking further into. And you did mention in a sane, normal world, this would be enough to stop these vaccines from being pushed onto the public. However, it seems that we are not living in a sane and normal world. And this brings me to another point that I know you are very passionate about. And that is really to do with the power structures and the people who are in positions of power and their mentality and their mental health, something we talked about a little bit earlier today. So can you talk about how they are really manipulating this situation? Yes, I mean, already when I was young and as a student, I was interested in how, for example, the, the, the populace of a whole country like Germany could turn into evil overnight. And I couldn't believe that this can happen. And, and then I was always interested in this, interested in this, and then uh, maybe some 20 or so years ago, I found Robert Hare. This is a Canadian psychologist who in the 60s, uh, started to investigate, to examine 
people in uh, in in prisons, really the, the hardcore mass murderers in prisons. And there he he created this concept of psychopathy. Psychopaths are people without any empathy, without any remorse. Uh, they are just programmed on maximizing their self-interest. And once you have realized this, you can understand the whole world much better. An empathetic person usually cannot kill another, another person. But if the empathetic person is made believe by a psychopath that he or she is doing a good thing by killing another person, for example, well, they invade our countries, they want to kill your children or whatever, then they might be prepared to kill other people. And it is these psychopaths, you can you can imagine it like this. There are 98% mice and, and, and 2% cats, or if you prefer 98% sheep and 2% wolves. And the most dangerous of the wolves, of course, are the wolves in sheep clothing. They can, they can hug you and at the same time stab you in the back. And these, these are the power hungry people. And in, in all hierarchies, especially in our age of Nazism, they are, they are, they uh, occupied almost all power position, power positions. And they can, they can walk over, over, over a pile of bodies without twinkling with an eye, if it is for in their self-interest, interest, and if there is no risk that they are, be, are prosecuted for this. And this, this explains the whole world that these, these people have always dominated us, 98% empathetic people. At, at, at ancient times, they were wearing crowns. Nowadays, they are multi-billionaires. Imagine, could, could you or me ever become a billionaire? I don't think so. If I had 50 million or so, I would, I, I would start to let part, participate other people, suffering people on my wealth. I could not sleep uh, when seeing all this, this suffering on the planet uh, with, with a billion under my pillow or, or something like this. So we could never, ever become a billionaire. I mean, there may be some exceptions, but and, and of course, we should not do diagnosis from the distance, but a multi-billionaire is per se highly likely such a psychopath. And of course, these psychopaths, of course, there, there, there are conspiracies. I mean, each and every one of us does conspiracy sometimes. If, 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 if a PR agency does, does something for me or for, for, for a manufacturer or something like this, this also is a conspiracy. And I mean, why should the, the multi-billionaire psychopaths the only, be the only people that do not network, that do not collude? This per se is, is, is crazy. I mean, of course they network and of course they meet and they, of course, they, con they start conspiracies to augment their wealth. And uh, th this is really important to realize we have to talk again about, about good and bad, not on the bad, not on the childish level of I'm the good, you're the bad guy, or on Kant's knowledge of the 18th century, but on this current uh, knowledge by Robert De Hare. He then wrote another book together. He, the first book was uh, titled uh, Without Conscience. And then in, in about 2007 or so, he wrote another book with a colleague, uh, 
Paul, I guess, Bob, Bob Yuck. And this was called snakes in suits. So the most people do not realize that these psychopaths exist outside of high security prisons or movies like Cannibal Lecture and all this. They simply cannot believe, for example, that Americans might be involved in 9-11 where most victims were Americans. An ordinary, empathetic human usually cannot believe that such evil people really do exist. And so it is important that that we also educate them about this because I mean I have many colleagues I I could I can I could present them the evidence about 9/11 alleged CO2 induced climate change corona pandemic and 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 they, and they they just look at me after one hour and they say I simply refuse to believe this. Huh? They simply so we cannot reach them with facts. They refuse to believe that such evil people really do exist. And therefore, I think this education about psychopathy, there are also other concepts like sociopathy and, and other things, these overlap, but that really evil people do exist and do not live in prisons, but are socialized and occupy most power most positions of power, this explains what's happening. And I mean, such a banality of evil is always started by the conspiracy of a bunch of psychopaths. And then, of course, not everybody who collaborates knows about this conspiracy. Most people just jump on the bandwagon out of self-interest. Oh, well, I can become famous if I participate. I can earn much money. Manufacturers jump on the bandwagon. That doesn't mean that uh, every uh, manufacturer wants to, 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 to has a genocidal agenda or something like this. No, most people, of course, are, are normal people, empathetic people. They just jump on the bandwagon. And then there is this huge context of delusion imposed on humanity and and if the me if the, as long as there is a total narrative control of the media even such a total nonsense scientific an unscientific nonsense narrative like this uh, prevailing corona narrative can live for more than two years i mean it's amazing but it is mainly this total narrative control that the perpetrators in the in the swine flu scam learn two things two important things. The first, they need to have total narrative control of the media. And the second, they need to have total control over the germ. Well, total control over the media is quite easy, but total control over the germ is impossible. So they invented this PCR test to create case numbers out of the fact-free vacuum to crank up and down the case numbers according to the script. Again, I do not say there is no SARS-CoV-2. I do not say there is no COVID-19. But the numbers, the case numbers, and the severity of the disease is highly inflated, is, is inflated by a factor of maybe 10 or so, by PR, PCR, frightening masks, and these uh, vaccine mandates. And for the vaccine mandates also, I mean, if there was really a pandemic of a killer virus that could be overcome, by useful, effective, safe vaccines, there would never ever be any need for vaccine mandates. I mean, every reasonable sane person would have injected, of course. So, so this alone, that there is such a huge resistance that they must to debate about mandates or even make, even apply them, 
alone is the proof that something is wrong, that a certain amount of the populace realize, realizes, hey, this narrative is nonsense, and they, they resist. These are excellent and very interesting points. I too have experienced encounters with other people who are just unwilling to accept that world leaders and people in positions of power would act so malevolently, but that's exactly what we're seeing. And it's because there are often times where people who have this psychopathic personality or personality traits are able to get into positions of power. And in fact, it's those traits that make it very easy for them to be quite successful in life. So you're you're quite right when you say psychopaths are, are not always sitting in maximum security prisons. Oftentimes they are living among us. We don't even realize that they don't have the same human empathy that the majority of us have. This is also a clinical issue that is recognized by the psychiatric community, I believe. So this is something that is a, a real medical issue. But... To pick it up from there, I just want to ask you, Dr. Bender, what should people do moving forward? How do we prevent another COVID-19 crisis where we are living in, in lockdowns and having to battle these different mask mandates and different social distancing guidelines and restrictions? What should people do looking ahead? I fully agree with what you said, Taylor. But just let me man, uh, add one thing. Of course, there may be not no no witch hunt against psychopaths now. Uh, I mean, there are about two percent psychopaths, but most of them are socially integrated and are not criminal. Uh, not uh, not uh, that we go out and want to lynch two percent psychopaths. But just just be aware that these people re, uh, exist, and that after having been fooled one hundred times by the same psychopaths, maybe if we are fooled again in autumn we should we should uh, consider we whether, whether we want to fooled by them for the 101st time and this is what what you mentioned i guess this relaxed time in switzerland there are absolutely no mandates no restrictions now there is no pressure so of course there is no resistance and many people believe oh well now this is over and, and life goes on as before no 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 we, we see uh, from the who again uh, alone we see from the website of the world economic forum that the agenda of course uh, should uh, is supposed to go on for for years so it, it is important then that in this time we educate as many people as possible and i hope i really hope that alone with with such graphs uh, that i showed you from israel the people wake up and start to think uh, is this really a good idea to 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 have the second booster in in autumn uh, why, why did i not notice why do i have to to look to to watch uh, new media and the old media my public broadcaster whom i'm obliged to pay in switzerland we pay one swiss franc every day to, so that our, our Swiss public broadcaster does inform us objectively. This is the main problem. Most people, especially the elderly people, blindly trust them. They, of course, are independent. I pay them that they inform me objectively. But the people realize that they have been lied to and that, 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 this is, that this lie is almost incredible, but they must be start to realize that uh, this incredible thing must also be is credible, so that they are not fooled again in, in autumn. We must really use this time, and we, we must use, of course, this time to network locally, because, of course, there 
there must be the anti-globalist movement, movement, and this is mainly a regional movement, then a provincial movement, and then a national movement. So connect to as many great people. I mean, what we all uh, realized, we have lost our our uh, stupid friends, our, our friends that were not really friends, huh? but we have gained so many new friends like we had never before, uh, like you. I mean, it, it was great that, that we met. And although, although the psychopaths have, have, have that much power, never in human history there was such a huge opposition. I mean, such a crowd of, of intelligent, brave, empathetic people that that is connected worldwide, like nowadays, never existed before. So they also have an opponent like they had never before. So we, uh, I'm still convinced that we, 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 we will uh, win this fight and uh, that the goods will always prevail. At what time this is, I don't know. But be positive and an important information also if you are chapped. Do not despair. Now, I mean, you have survived maybe without any side effects. Great. Just refuse to get another chap. I always say with these chaps, it is about like with smoking, it is almost never too late to give it up. And certainly refuse that these chaps are injected into your children, your grandchildren, and even unborn children. This is an, this is an incredible crime. And uh, yeah, but we have to stand up. It is the populace that we must educate. And finally, it can only, only the populace can end this or in the streets. This is great advice, great words of encouragement. And you are exactly right. This COVID crisis has brought us all together with people who we may have not otherwise met with or worked with. And it's been a pleasure uh, to work with you and also meet you in Malmo, Sweden and just get to know everybody who has the same shared values and ideals. And I thank you so much for your time today and your positive message. Dr. Thomas Bender, thank you. I thank you, Taylor, for all your great work. Of course, thank you. And I wanna thank you all for watching this interview. Please be sure to share it on your social media and with your friends and your family. And also please support today's guest, Dr. Thomas Bender. He is active on Telegram and you can follow his channel called Dr. Thomas Bender MD. And you can also visit his website, thomasbender.ch. Once again, I wanna thank you all for watching. Please also support The Last American Vagabond. There is a lot of censorship and suppression of this information, so make sure that you are subscribed to the various channels and that you also circulate this link on your social media. Once again, I wanna thank you all for watching. I'm independent journalist Taylor Hudak, and I'll see you guys next time.